Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. I'm going to invite Nathan Killian up today. Nathan uh, is with us here. He is home for a short uh, visit, home, I say, from uh, Thailand, where he is a missionary. He's been there for 11 years. We've been supporting Nathan and his family since they first went out. And he's here to help establish residency as his son. The first son is going to be going to Central College. He's already going to be graduating in college this year. So he's home for a short visit. So he'll be meeting with our mission committee tomorrow night. And we've asked him to come and uh, share God's word with us today. Nathan, Lord bless you. Okay. Let's have a word of prayer together. Father, we thank you for Nathan. And we thank you for his family. We thank you for their faithfulness serving in that uh, very, very, it's a challenging work in Thailand. We've been praying for them. And uh, we know, Lord, that you will bring uh, fruit from this work. We pray for their co-workers. And we just thank you. He has a little uh, break to be here with us today. And the praise he brings your word to us. That our hearts will be open to hear your words this morning to encourage us as we walk and live with you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. All right. Thanks, Pastor Jim. Well, good morning. Uh, it is good to be here. And uh, as Pastor Jim shared, uh, uh, my purpose of coming to the U.S., it's, it's an unusual trip for me. Um, we're usually here uh, with the church and, and many churches sharing about uh, the work that's taking place in Thailand and that the Lord's doing there. And I do get to do some of that. But my primary purpose in coming, as Pastor mentioned, was is to uh, establish residency in the state of Washington. I'll talk about that a little bit uh, more. But I want to begin just thanking you, um, thanking you as a church. Uh, the church continues to faithfully partner uh, with my family and the work that's taking place in Thailand. Um, I bring greetings from my family. Uh, some of you this morning have already asked if it's just me or if Jessica and the kids are here as well. And I'm sorry, it's just me. Um, but they wish they could be here. But I uh, send greetings from them, as well as our co-missionaries, uh, the Marats. Uh, some of you know Genesis and Verna and their kids as well. And so greetings from them and the believers in the church there. Uh, I will just, if I can, just a short uh, update about the ministry there. I will meet with the missions committee this week uh, before I move on from Seattle, I'll spend some time over in Leavenworth with my in-laws. But, but you know, the work there continues to move forward uh, slowly, steadily. Uh, as many of you know, Thailand is a, a Buddhist nation. And so the people that are coming to know Christ uh, as young people, as adults, are coming out of a, a completely different background. Uh, they don't know uh, these stories that we're so familiar with. Um, many of the Bible stories that even if you've grown up in the States, not churched or not in a Christian home, uh, it's really a part of our culture, or I should say it, it traditionally has been a part of our culture here in the U.S., uh, but in Thailand it's a completely different uh, situation. And so people are coming, and, and it's a long process then to see people come to the Lord and then also grow up in Him and be able to be leaders and uh, teach and, and whatnot in the church. So so pray for us as we do that. The church plant is continuing to meet. Um, in fact, they they had their meeting already. They've already done Sunday, and uh, uh, my wife filled me in on things that happened in that service uh, early this morning. And so uh, that's the only good part about jet lag. I can be up before she goes to bed there, so that's that's helpful. But uh, But please continue to pray for the church there, for the believers there. Uh, for our families, uh, again, we cannot thank you enough 
for partnering with us. You're a part of that work in a very real way. As you pray, as you give, um, we are very grateful for, for your part in that ministry there. Well, as uh, Pastor Jim mentioned, the, the primary reason I'm here is to establish residency. Let me just give you a little bit of background because w- why that makes sense. Uh, our son will be attending school here in the fall, Lord willing, um, at uh, Central Washington University. And we, you know, we just didn't know. Uh, the last time we were in the States, uh, he had some ideas, some plans of what he wanted to do, but we weren't sure. Uh, we couldn't see that far ahead. But as that became more solidified, we realized, well, in order to do that, it would be really helpful if we had Washington residency. Um, our residency right now is in Indiana, uh, because that's where the mission Things to Come is headquartered. And it made sense when we moved over 10 plus years ago to be residents there. And well, it doesn't make sense anymore. So we began looking at that. And as I mentioned, this is sort of an unusual trip as we come here, as I come here, uh, primary for that reason, not for a missions conference. But we decided, okay, as we prayed about this, that this would be a good thing to do and it will help with his tuition and whatnot. But as we looked at that and that process of becoming residents here, uh, which is several things, establishing an address and, and then getting a driver's license and so forth. Tried to do as much as I could prior to coming here online. It's very nice. You can do a lot. But, but there's some things I had to just be in person. So I came. And one of those things is to get a Washington State driver's license. And because my Indiana driver's license uh, is actually expired because uh, I can only renew it once online, and then it comes due again, and we weren't in the States. And so because of that, the Washington law is that I had to do something I haven't done since I was a teenager. (laughs) And that was go in yesterday morning and take the written knowledge test and then a driving test. (sighs) I turned that test in. Um, Okay got in the car, did the driving test, and there was a little bit of trepidation on my part, I'll be honest. Uh, I've been driving how many years now? Of course, I'm used to driving on the other side of the road, living where we are in Thailand, so I had to take that into account. Uh, I think I hit the windshield wipers a few times instead of the blinker, because they're opposite uh, in my car over there. Uh, that was okay, it was raining in-house. So, but, but there's a little bit of anxiety. Because I'm thinking, a lot's riding on this. Because this is so I can get my license, which is one of the important steps so I can establish residency, which is something to help as our son comes to university. And I'm thinking, how is this going to turn out? Um, incidentally, I passed. Um, so, yeah, thank you, thank you. That was, uh, um, I'm going to ask my father-in-law if I can borrow the car this weekend. So, uh, i got to convince him for that. But, you know, there's moments in life like that, aren't there? There's moments in life that we have, sometimes more than moments, sometimes entire seasons, in which we experience uncertainty, or we're not sure how exactly things are going to turn out. Maybe it's anxiety. I mean, my thing was somewhat big, but, you know, uh, maybe a little smaller in the big scheme of things. But anxiety over how maybe a potential conflict might play out, or a relationship. There's been some tension, and you think, how is this going to uh, work out in the future, a friendship or a family relationship, maybe uncertainty about future events, uh, plans um, that there's disillusionment because I had these plans and now they're not being fulfilled. And 
what will take place now? Maybe you're in a place like that, or you've been in a place like that, or I guarantee you probably will be in a place like that at some point in the future. I think that the Apostle Paul was in that place. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 this morning. Uh, 2 Corinthians 2, 12 through 17 is the text I want to look at. And I was really having a hard time narrowing it down. I started a little shorter and then I thought, no, I really got to go back to verse 12 in 2 Corinthians 2. And, and really, by the time I was done, I thought, I really want to preach most of 2 Corinthians, um, but we'll touch on some of the themes that run throughout it. The game doesn't start until 3-something, right? So, no, I'm just... Um, I do want to be invited back at some point. So, But in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 12, I think that the Apostle Paul, if we, if we can read here what's going on um, and look at some of this story, that this was one of those seasons in his life in which he had some of those feelings. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 12, Paul writes, Now when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ... And when a door was opened for me in the Lord, I had no rest for my spirit, not finding Titus, my brother. But taking my leave of them, I went on to Macedonia. Paul says, I had no rest for my spirit. Um, in, in fact, this sort of starts a personal narrative that he doesn't pick up again until chapter 7, in which in chapter 7, verse 5, he describes, even after they got to Macedonia, our flesh had no rest but we were afflicted on every side. Conflicts without fears within. Um, have you ever felt that way? Conflicts without fears within. Just a, a turmoil all around you. The Apostle Paul was experiencing this. He say, well, what's going on here, Paul? Uh, you're, you're, you're the Apostle Paul. I mean, you're boldly going into these different places and preaching the gospel and you're, you're experiencing all these tribulations and you're, you're sort of an emotional wreck here. What's happening? Well, there's some reason. And if we look, uh, there's pick it up throughout most of 2 Corinthians as we see what's happening. Paul had written here to this church. Uh, you know if you if you read either 1st or 2 Corinthians, either of these letters, that this church had its fair share of problems, right? Uh, there was uh, all kinds of stuff between division in the church to... Um, who, yeah, who are they following? Uh, different apostles, or, or some say I follow Peter, some say I follow Christ. No, I follow Paul, and so forth. And and there was sexual immorality, and there were lawsuits, and this is not a healthy situation. And and Paul had written them concerning some of these things. And not only that, but then there are also some false teachers and false apostles that had come into the church and were attacking Paul's message and his apostleship and his authority, and trying to elevate themselves and show how super they were above this Apostle Paul that's come and taught you these things. And so you have, between the moral issues that are taking place and the attacks uh, against Paul and in all these things, and he's written the church, and now he's waiting to hear back how they've received his letter. He's waiting from Titus to come back, who delivered the letter, and say, yeah, Paul, this was their response, right? Unlike the email, which is zipped immediately, they had to wait for this messenger to come back and share with them. That's what he's talking about when he says here in verse 13, I had no rest for my spirit, not finding Titus, my brother. And he goes on in verse 7, or excuse me, in chapter 7 and chapter 8, 
after Titus had finally arrived and, and there was some relief because of the report he got. And yet here, as we look at this passage in chapter 2, there are these uncertainties. He's awaiting news from Corinth. He's, he's unsettled. He's anxious, fearful, even feeling defeated. If we read this, uh, we're reading it right and understanding it, uh, the door is open for ministry, and yet I, I, I'm going to go over to Macedonia instead. Now we know eventually in Troas there was something de- developed, and, and we can put that timeline together with the book of Acts. And yet even here, God's opening this up, and, and He's just not feeling it because of these other things. He had an opportunity uh, for ministry but he feels that he maybe even can't take it, not knowing how things are going in this church, not to mention some of the other churches. And this is a very down time in the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. He's in desperate need for God's comfort, for God's peace, for a victory. He needs a win here. And that's exactly where he turns to in the midst of this. You see, despite all these things, the very next verse, Paul says what? Verse 14, but thanks be to God, right? I I love that. Anytime we see in Scripture uh, uh, some combination of but God together, right? There's there's many uh, examples of that throughout Paul's epistles. It's always a good thing, right? Because it's always, this is the human condition or the human situation or or what's happening and it's negative, it's down. and, And I often say, you know, if we close the book there, that's the bad news. But God. And here he says, but thanks be to God, there's always the good news that is being presented. And, and here, even though we don't see, well, we do in some ways, we'll, we'll understand it better, I hope, as we go throughout it. We don't uh, see Paul explicitly talking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. I believe that's packed in here with some of the imagery he's using that the gospel, the good news, but thanks be to God... Because of what God's doing. Uh, this is a familiar phrase in Paul. and But it's not flippant, flippant right? Uh, and sometimes we do that, I think. Um, sometimes we, uh, we might have that tendency to hear a good report or something. Oh, praise God. You know, oh, thank God for that. And, and I think we mean it generally, but sometimes it just rolls off so easily that it loses some of that meaning. For Paul, this is a very sincere thanks be to God. And I... If you're like me, I can't help but wonder, yeah, but Paul, with all of this, how can you say that? Where, where is your thanks coming from? What, how are you expressing this? And as we go on, we see the reality that God is at work in, these, um, in the midst of all of this. He's at work in the life of the Apostle Paul, um, in, his, in his relationship with the Lord and, and, and the others that are with him, um, the company that he travels, along with not only in the life of, but through the life of the Apostle Paul uh, to those that he is meeting and encountering. And I would encourage us today, uh, as the body of Christ, that those things that are true that he says about him are also then reflected in us too. That, that, that what The truths that we'll see, that what God has done here in the life of the Apostle Paul and through him, he's wanting to accomplish today as well. And we'll see how that might play out in our lives. And so he says here in verse 14, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. I want to pause there. Um, Other translations, you might have something like leads us as captives 
in Christ's triumphal procession, um, which is really the, the, the imagery here that Paul's pulling from would have been very familiar to the Corinthians. The Corinthians, of course, the, the Roman world of that day and the Gentiles uh, were accustomed to Roman generals going in and as the, the empire expanded and as the generals, they would conquer uh, different places and bring back captives for those that had killed at least 5,000 enemy soldiers, um, a, a general of some sort, a chief, and gain some new territory for the empire, um, they were entitled to what was called a Roman triumph. And it was this parade of honor in which the general would be paraded through town with uh, uh, certain worship and priests uh, offering burning incense that would go up to a certain Roman god, whoever they are praising for that particular victory. And as they did that, representative captives that had been captured were in tow, following behind. And there they are leading um, in triumphal procession. The general who's battled and conquered these captives and they're now being marched to their execution. That imagery, that picture. And I believe that's what Paul really has in mind here as he talks about leads us in a triumphal procession in Christ as captives to Christ. And so this imagery would have been very familiar to the Corinthians. Uh, not only that, but the, the burning of incense, um, the idea of life and death. As we go on, we read uh, in verse, well, let's continue just in 14. I paused halfway through. Uh, and manifest through us a sweet aroma of the knowledge of Christ in every place. For we're a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one an aroma from death to death to the other an aroma from life to life. Uh, we'll pause there again. And so, in addition with this Roman triumph, in addition to the captives being led behind, the incense that's being burned, uh, that, that smell would go out. And for the captives that were being marched to their execution, that was signifying death. right? But for the victorious Roman general and those that had conquered, uh, those soldiers that were celebrating this victory, it was... A, scent, uh, a smell and uh, an aroma of life, of victory. And so that imagery is, is being played out here, but Paul's applying it where? This cultural phenomenon to himself as an apostle and to the church, the body of Christ. I think it's interesting. Because as we look at that, we have to ask the question, uh, who is the triumphant one, right? It's not Paul. Paul isn't the one, it's, it's not Paul this apostle is saying, look, I've, I've done this, I've conquered, uh, yeah, I've faced these difficulties and these challenges, but now I'm standing on top of the world. No, in fact, just the opposite. If we read throughout 2 Corinthians, there's this theme of weakness. Paul's saying, it's, it's not me, uh, I am in need of comfort, I am in need of God's strength. I'm in need of his power. So who is the triumphant one? Not Paul, not because of his own strength or ability or that he has had some type of victory in the face of discouragement. This is not a message uh, that Paul's communicating a, a sort of pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, right, type of mentality or Christianity. We see that sometimes, don't we? Um, I, I think, sadly, I, what what often or what can happen is 
we hear the gospel message that Jesus Christ died in our place. He's resurrected. We can have be saved by God's grace completely apart from our works. And we believe that. And then we go out trying to live the Christian life as if it somehow depends on how strong we are, right? And how much we can do to impress God or keep in His good favor. And yet that's really anti the message of the gospel. The gospel message that not only the lost world needs to hear, but I believe the gospel message that we as believers in Jesus Christ need to hear every single week, every single day, that it is not our strength. We're not the triumphant ones. Jesus Christ is the victorious one. He's the one leading in triumph. So where does that put us? <laughs> Following behind as captives. But wait a minute, we just said the captives are being led to death, right? Um, well, yeah. Yeah, in a way. We're experiencing the death of Christ. Paul's. In fact, if we just go over, and we may return to this verse, but just over in chapter 4, and let, let's look at, we, we know this passage, I think, um, let's start in verse 7. I, I, there's so much here. I told you I wanted to preach the whole book, but we'll, we'll try to limit here. Verse 7, but we have this treasure in earth and vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. So he's returning to that same theme, right? Of, of weakness, of feeling defeated, but, but not completely. Why? Always carrying about, in verse 10, in the body, the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. So, yes, as captives we are being led, we're, there's a purpose for the suffering, Paul's saying. There's a reason he's going through this. Because of that suffering and that death and that process daily of dying to himself, it's then manifesting life. And not only that, but unlike the Roman uh, generals and their captives and those captives who would really die as, as captives of Christ, then he shares his life with us. He shares the reward. He shares the victory. He shares the honor that is solely and totally due to Jesus alone with you and me as we put our trust in him. What a great savior he is. And so we see this reality that God is at work in the Apostle Paul's life, leading him and, and this imagery, uh, this picture that he's painting for the believers there. But more than that, I mean, as if that were not enough, right? That here through Christ's death and resurrection, the salvation he gives, we're now captives of his. He's leading us. But he's also doing something else. It's the rest in verse 14. He manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him, of Christ, in every place. That God is also working through Paul. That God is also desiring to work through the body of Christ to spread the aroma of Jesus Christ. And I just I just love that imagery, the, the, the whole sense of smell and, um, you know, people have studied it and talked about it and how, how smell is one of the strongest senses uh, tied to our memories. 
You know, if you, you ever have that happen? You have a certain scent and, oh, suddenly you're back in high school or it's 20 years ago or whatever. Um, maybe those are the same thing. No, okay. Uh, so, uh, or longer, whatever. But, but that's, that's, our smells, um, that we have that are all around us, those are strong. And here, Paul is comparing that. And again, we go back to that imagery of the Roman triumph and the incense that's burning and, and life and death. But I think Paul's also alluding to something else here. He's tying it in to the idea in the Old Testament of the tabernacle and temple, the worship, um, the whole worship system of Israel. And as they would burn the incense as an offering up to God, as those animal sacrifices uh, were made, and that would be a sweet aroma up to God. And so here, there's also some of that uh, in Paul's mind as he says that we are a fragrance of Christ to God. First and foremost, it's to God. I, I think that's, the, and as I, I love this passage, and as I was studying and preparing it, that was something that I hadn't seen before. This idea that we're a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved, among those who are perishing. But first, it's to God. And that especially is, is, fits with this idea of, of the sacrifices and the incense in the Old Testament because those were what? Acts of worship to God. That our very lives, um, as Christ is, this translation says, manifest through us a sweet aroma, diffused, as, as the life of Jesus, the death and life of Jesus are communicated through us as we're conduits for that. It's like a sweet aroma that goes up to the Father. So it's an act of worship. And I think first and foremost that that is, as we live our lives, um, that that reality that this is a life of worship, right? Worship's not limited to uh, Sunday morning. Uh, it's not limited to the, the songs that we sang, which thank you, by the way, for that. That was um, it's always fun to worship in English. I don't do, I mean, we do, uh, but on a Sunday morning we usually don't. And so I was blessed by that. Thank you. But it's not limited to the songs we sing or even limited to this service, right? What does Paul say in Romans chapter 12? That we're to offer ourselves as living sacrifices. This is our reasonable act of worship or service. Our entire lives are to be a worship unto God. And as God is working that in us and forming Christ in us, that sweet smell goes up to him. And then out of that worship, I believe first, let's get the order correct here. Out of that worship, then, then naturally comes the next part. We're also a fragrance to God among those who are being saved, among those who are perishing. And that's really, I believe, the the biblical order, if you will, of worship and then witness. Um, this was a, you, you may have heard this quote before, a French aviator and writer uh, whose name I'll surely butcher, so if, um, I apologize if you're French or speak French, but uh, Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, something like this, in the 1900s, or 1900, died in mid-1900s. He said this, if you want to build a ship... Don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them tasks and work, but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. I really like that. 
If you want people to build a ship, you know, don't go start assigning these jobs and, okay, you do this, you do this, you do this, but teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. And I was reminded of that quote as I looked at this passage and that as we're reminded in worship of the endless immensity of the sea of who God is, his, his grace and his mercy and his love and what he's shown us in the Lord Jesus Christ. As we come to him first in that act of worship saying, God, I want my life to be a sweet smelling aroma to you. The natural overflow that then will be for us to express that to others as well. The witness will come um, out of that life of worship. And people around us in our workplaces, in our uh, schools, uh, our neighbors, they will begin to see that sweet aroma of Christ being diffused through us as well. And really, Paul here then reminds us that there's just two options, right, among mankind, saved and perishing. People are either rejecting Christ or receiving Him. Uh, either it's a smell of death to some because they, they hear this and, and they reject Christ and, and so it's, a, it's condemning them, or, or it's a smell of life because they hear this gospel message through us through our lives, through our words that we speak, and they desire, and they cling onto that, and they're saved, and God is working that out. And sometimes, you know, we could have a long discussion about, well, how does that work? You know, is our part or God's part? And to me, this passage says, just go and be the fragrance of Christ and let God take care of life and death among those who are, uh, that we're witnessing to. And so we see what God is doing in Paul's life. He's leading him, leading him in triumph. He's manifesting the fragrance of Christ. And yet, I think we can then come, at least if you're like me, as some of that reality begins to sink in, uh, I'm asking the same question Paul is here. And in verse 17, I'm sorry, verse 16, uh, it's the second half of verse 16, he says, who is adequate for these things? Who is sufficient for this? This realization of, of what Paul is saying says, look, I am weak. I am uh, there's it's not me doing this. And yet God is not only leading me, but now he's causing me to be this aroma of Christ in the world that I live. How is this possibly happening through me? Um, and maybe you can relate to that as well. And you can think about that. Uh, who who could possibly be the aromas of Christ? You know, as I spend time with people, they'll uh, they'll undoubtedly smell something. <laughs> um, but my fear is that they're not going to smell Jesus. They're going to smell me. <laughs> uh, it won't be the sweet aroma of the Savior, but uh, maybe my own stench that I'll be spreading. Right? Ah. And so Paul answers that. Well, first he answers it by the negative in verse 17. He says, no, you know, it's not these these false teachers. That's who he's talking about in verse 17. That we're not like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, uh, as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. Remember that part of the problem in Corinth was not only how will they receive Paul's teaching? Are they going to respond positively? But these other false teachers or false apostles coming in and trying to attack Paul and his ministry and his authority. And, and, and some of them, just like he describes here, were peddling the word of God. Their very motives and their message 
were way off base, trying to sell what they had for profit. Paul says, no, no, that's not what we're about. They're, they're not adequate. They're not qualified. They're not sufficient to do that. And we're not like that. But then he answers his own question. If we go down to verse 4 of the next chapter, chapter 3, verse 4, such confidence we have through Christ toward God, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Praise the Lord. It's not our adequacy. It's not something, again, returning to this theme, not something Paul is doing in his own strength. It's not something you and I can say, well, I'm going to go and I'm going to do this and I'm going to follow this. No. Well, okay, yeah, but only by the grace of God. It's as God is working in us and through us that these things will be accomplished. God is victorious and he's the one that's leading us. And so we see throughout the book of 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul, and, and we'll include ourselves in there too, we're afflicted, but God comforts. We're dying, but God raises the dead. We're defeated, we see in these verses here that we've looked at, but Christ is triumphant. We are weak, but He is powerful. Right? Isn't that how Paul comes to finally in chapter 12? For when I am weak, then I am strong. Grace is perfected in weakness. And so this message of the gospel, again, for salvation, yes, most certainly. And if you're here today and you're thinking, well, my, my responsibility is to somehow attain to this place with God on my own, right? And that's the reason I've come to church. And that's the reason I'm doing these things, so that God will accept me and, and I'll be in His good graces. I'm here to tell you there is a better way. There is the only way, and that's through Jesus Christ and His grace that He's extending to you today. Not to save yourself, that won't happen, but to be saved by Him. And if you are here today already as a believer in the body of Christ, we still need that gospel message proclaimed to us. That God's grace is enabling us then to live the victorious Christian life. That if we want to walk in triumph Monday through Saturday, then we're depending on Him, we're coming to Him that we are in the midst of whatever we're experiencing. Maybe it is those disappointments. Maybe you're faced with unrest or uncertainty. Maybe you have internal conflict, like the Apostle Paul had here. Maybe there's anxiety and fear. But today, we can be assured that God is triumphant, that He's working in us and through us. And so, that when we leave this place today, we can go and be the aroma of Christ. And my prayer is that the people around us might smell that. They might smell the, the blood and the wood and the, the sweat of the cross. They might smell the life and the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ lived through us. That as we respond to those difficulties in life, and they say, oh, there's something unique there. What is that? Wow, you're so strong. I could never do that. We say, oh, no, no. <laughs> I'm really not. But Jesus is. Let me tell you about Him. And we have that opportunity to share and to spread Him to those around us, that sweet-smelling aroma of salvation in Christ. Some, for sure, will reject the Gospel. They'll smell death. But there will be some who will receive that life and trust in Jesus Christ.
Might God give us the power to do that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this reminder um, in the life of the Apostle Paul. I know for me, as I study these things and as, as I consider someone who we often, you know, we look at the life of uh, the Apostle Paul and put him up on a pedestal sometimes and think, wow, this, uh, and yet we see his humanity here too. We see the things he struggled with and ultimately we see that it was only because of Christ in his life. And so we thank you that that's true for us as well. Lord, I don't know each individual heart and life here this morning and what different ones are experiencing, but you do, God, so intimately. And so I would pray that whatever the situations, uh, that Christ would be magnified in their life. Father, that, that you would lead in triumph in the midst of difficulties. Lord God, that they would cling to you, that there would be a reminder, an encouragement, a comfort uh, that comes from the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. Not only for our salvation, of course, but then living daily as we follow you. We thank you so much for your great love, God. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that you are faithful to your promises. And we praise you all, uh, all of these things. And we pray in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Nathan, for sharing. Come over here, Nathan. He's going to walk out with me so you can greet him and get to know him on the, on the narthex. And uh, thank you for reminding us. It's a great uh, theme and a great picture from the Bible, isn't it? I remember in junior high when I received uh, my first bottle of cologne from my uncle in Minnesota, British Sterling. And that was to replace the cheap English leather I bought myself. I guess I was trying to smell kind of English, kind of British. But, um, you know, in order to, uh, you had to put it on. You had to put it on in order for it to be on you so others could smell it on you. I don't do that anymore because now I make hospital visits. I find out people don't like aromas. So. But you got to put it on. And we've come today, and I hope this has been an opportunity for you, just once again, to put on Jesus Christ. Be in his word, worship, pray, fellowship. Put it on so others can smell Jesus Christ. Isn't that a great theme, a great picture? To smell Jesus Christ on us this week. And so let's continue to put it on throughout the week. Continue to be in God's Word. Continue to pray. Continue to fellowship. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to come, a place to come. Thank you that Nathan could be with us today, Lord. We pray your blessing on him as he has just this short stay. We'll be returning back to Thailand. And again, we thank you for our brothers and sisters in Thailand. We think of them today, Lord. And we pray for the leaders you are raising up there as uh, he and the Marats and their family, Lord, are committed to trying to train and, and raise up leaders for that, that church there to carry on that work. Bless them. We ask your blessing on us. May we leave this place rejoicing in the hope of salvation. If there's anybody here today, we don't want them to leave if they do not know Christ as Savior. We do not want them to leave without being reminded how much God loves them. And friend, they, God loves you. God loves you so much. The Lord Jesus Christ came to die on the cross, pay for your sins, and you were invited to receive eternal life, forgiveness for sins this day. If you'd like to talk more about that, to pray with someone, just talk to me, Pastor Gary. We'd love to sit down and talk with you and pray with you. May we all put on our Lord Jesus Christ this week and share that wonderful aroma of the grace 
of God. In Christ's name, all God's people say together, Amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today.